when I'm teaching my African American history class, we start off with African civilizations and, you know, they get to learn all this amazing information, even about like Spanish, African conquistadores, you know, and they're just like, whoa, we talked about mitochondrial Eve and just how every person pretty much, it listens, coming from a black woman. And they're just like, oh my gosh, we didn't know that. And so they're starting off feeling empowered. Although I am very excited for you to jump into today's episode, I have got to tell you a couple things about today's guest, Deanna Forbes. After we recorded this episode, she and I actually had a chance to meet in person. We were both presenting at the NCSS conference in Philadelphia. And let me just tell you that her presentation on Centering Black Joy 365 days of the year throughout your entire curriculum was incredible. She had a lot of really great resources for the teachers that attended the conference, and I know that she still has some of those resources available on her website. The other thing to know is that Deanna was recently featured on NPR in an article titled, A Teacher in Virginia Highlights the Joyous Sides of the African American Experience. Deanna says, and I quote, we want to focus on the joy, the stories, the culture, the celebration of us existing and being human. That's it. I will make sure I link to all of these things in the show notes because you've got to go and check them out. All right, let's jump into the intro. Hey, hey, welcome to the Culture Center Classroom Podcast, a space for educators looking to step into their power by creating a classroom environment and lessons that affirm, welcome, and celebrate all their students through instruction. I'm your host, Jocelyn Hubbard, an educator, teacher coach, wife, mother to five children, and your partner on this journey of creating culture-centered classrooms. Let's jump into the episode. Today's episode of the Culture Center Classroom podcast is a amazing and amazing guest episode that is perfectly positioned and it is one where you are going to really be able to gather some good insight into how to, as this guest put it, teach fearlessly with caution. This guest is a history teacher and I want to I want to introduce her properly because she's got some really interesting nuances to her story. The guest for today is Deanna Forbes. She is a social studies teacher in Northern Virginia. She teaches African-American history and U.S. history. And obviously there's a good focus on Virginia specific history. And she leads the Black History Month programs in her school building. She graduated from James Madison University where she ran track. She specializes in Black history curriculum, pedagogy, and cultivating a classroom environment that celebrates Black joy. Come on now, come on. Outside of her time in the classroom, she also makes digital resources that help teachers to teach hard but honest history. She presents at a number of local, state, and national conferences. So definitely be looking for her on the conference circuit. And her presentations focus on topics related to Black history, Black culture, and of course, Black joy. For example, she has presented on topics like reframing our understanding of Black Republicans and Reconstruction and celebrating Black joy inside and outside of the social studies classroom. She also has written an amazing digital ebook that you can grab, and I'll make sure I link that in the show notes, and that is called Why Didn't Slaves Just Fight Back? So without further ado, I'm going to bring Deanna on to the show. Hey, How are you? 
Abdullah, how are you? I am excellent, excellent, and very excited for our conversation today because I know that it is going to be filled with information that is top of mind for educators, not just in the history and social studies class, but in all disciplines, because let's be honest, right? There is a level of understanding history in science, in language arts, in all of the subject areas. And so being able to teach that history in an honest way can be challenging, especially with the current educational climate. So before we get started, I gave a brief introduction to who you are, but I I want you to tell a little bit about who you are in your own words. So what do we need to know about you? Thank you. You was hyping me up. I was like, oh, I felt like I was about to go on stage and like, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I was like, okay, I forgot all that stuff about you. (laughs) Everything you said is true, Jocelyn. Also, I am a mother. I have a wonderful six-year-old son. He's full of energy. He is the definition of black boy joy. He is such a happy kid and I enjoy allowing him to be who he is. So this morning, you know, today we're going to go see the Black Panther movie. So he comes in today and he's like, mom, can I wear this to the Black Panther movie? And he has on his Black Panther mask that like lights up. It's like serious, you know? So I'm just like, yeah, baby, you can wear that. That's okay. You know, I love being a mom. I love food. I love to, I love aesthetics. I love fall. I'm a pumpkin spice girl. All of those things are a part of who I am. I'm also a sister and daughter and all of these other parts of my identity. So, but yeah, I think you, I think you introduced me. Yes. And I, I mean, I cannot go any further with this interview without also saying that you are one of my sorority sisters, right? You are a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. So <laughs> hello. Yes. And that's definitely one of, of the points of connection that you and I had. And it just, It literally fills my heart with joy when I'm able to connect with educators that are also members of the Black Greek organization, but specifically, of course, you know. (laughs) The only one. (laughs) Okay, yes. So let's go ahead and dive in because... you know, I'm, I'm I'm just excited, like I said. So I actually taught social studies. I taught eighth grade, seventh grade social studies for a number of years in North Carolina, which is very close to Virginia. And there are definitely some, some similarities in mindset around the things that we should and shouldn't teach. I want to just go ahead and dive right on in with a question that is on the very front cover of your ebook. First of all, what inspired you to write the book, Why Didn't Slaves Just Fight Back? Yes. So that's the you know first part of it. Why didn't slaves just fight back? Questions that students ask about slavery in the secondary classroom. One of the things that inspired me to write that was the fact that kids have a lot of misconceptions. They come to me. They come to class with a lot of misconceptions when it comes to African and North American slavery in general. And so I spent a lot of time debunking those myths that they have and answering questions that either they ask out loud or they may like have in the back of their mind because I know I used to have them too when I was in their position. I think some people see the the title and maybe they're misled. They think that I'm saying that slaves didn't fight back when I'm basically answering a question that students have. And that's one of the questions, right? I, I think when I posted and, you know, we're promoting it and stuff like that, some people were confused. Like one lady had commented and she was like, well, they did fight back. It's just not well documented. And in my head, I was like, well, no, it's well documented. It's just not well talked, right? Mm. I'm not saying that we did it. These are questions that students ask and I have to really go in and bring in that resistance piece and teaching about how black people resisted the condition in which they were in, not who they were, right? Because I don't see 
you know, enslavement as like, oh, that's who you were. You were a slave. No, you were enslaved, but you were a person. Our ancestors were people, right? They had names, they had family, they had backgrounds, they had their own cultures and everything. So I was just inspired by my students. Questions that they always ask me that I have to spend time debunking. The curriculum can be misleading kind of have to work with what we're given, but also work on teaching the truth. So why do you think that it is challenging for teachers, specifically history teachers, to teach honest history? I think society, you know, society and people who are not in the classroom, let's be real, people who are not in the classroom, aka politicians and parents that want to try to police what students are learning because there's like this, almost like this double consciousness if I'm channeling my inner WEB, the idea that we want America to be like versus what it really is. And so people struggle when it's time to talk about the true history of our country. It's like some want to sugarcoat and paint and others are like, no, I'll tell the truth. And when teachers are like, okay, I'm going to tell the truth, then it's all of these things that come with it. But I think teachers are afraid, right? Because let's be real, you know, our livelihood, your paycheck, as bad as it sounds, but some teachers are afraid to tell the truth because they don't want a parent knocking on their principal's door, accusing them of trying to make their child feel bad or the image of this country. Some teachers, they don't want that extra smoke, you know, that comes with telling the truth. I have to respect everyone's journey. This, as you said, this is your livelihood. This is your paycheck. And so you have to do what you feel is right for your family, for yourself, for your mental space, because definitely, having that level of scrutiny, it's overwhelming. I was just talking with another educator on another guest podcast episode. She and I were talking about the Star Spangled Banner and how when I was in the classroom teaching U.S. history, and at that time there wasn't so much, you know, involvement oh, we need to silence things and cancel culture and all this other stuff. But it was like, no, objectively, how do I ask questions in the classroom that allow students to be critical thinkers. How do I allow them and how do I provide a space where they're going to want to dig deeper and really start to ask questions themselves? So, hey, guess what? Yes, we know that the United States and the Constitution and all these, they were founded upon these principles, right, quote unquote, founded principles of liberty and justice and pursuit of happiness for all people. So great, let's go ahead and look at this document and let's highlight. That's not just something that you can do with the Star Spangled Banner, but like, let's look at so many other documents and let's look at news articles. Let's look at other things in our current world and let's line them up with these words that our forefathers put right there on the dollar and the coins and all the places that are important to say, this is what America stands for. Yet, are we actually walking that out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Living up to those ideals. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that in your book, you said that you hope that this resource will help teachers to feel more confident and to feel more empowered to be able to teach honest history. That's really why I wanted to start this episode with that, because sometimes it it takes multiple times of sitting down to listen to a podcast episode to get all the way through. So I wanted to put that at the very beginning of this episode so that if a teacher knows that they need a resource to help them feel confident or to give them some words that they can say or questions that they can use with their students, that that resource is out there. I also like how, especially with slavery, right, because that is the topic of this book, you emphasize the fact that it's not always what you're teaching 
So it's it's not the fact that I'm teaching about slavery because, oh, right. you know, students, their feelings are going to get hurt. No, no. You know what? It's not what you're teaching. It's how you are teaching it. Are you starting the conversation from the standpoint of this group of people was brought over in slave ships and now they are enslaved? It's the same story when we're talking about indigenous people and Native Americans. Are we starting the story from the lens of the colonizer or right. are we starting the story from the actual lens of the indigenous groups of people, right. of the people that were coming over from multiple countries in Africa. And what does that history look like? You said that, you know, there is a rich history of Africans. And so what does that look like? How do you feel like that has really changed the conversation, starting with that story as opposed to starting with the story of enslavement? Oh, that's such a good question. So, and this is cool too, because I get to really see that on a daily, because when I'm teaching my African-American history class, we start off with African civilizations and, you know, they get to learn mm -hmm. all this amazing information, even about like Spanish, African conquistadores, you know, and they're just like, whoa, we talked about mitochondrial Eve and just how every person pretty much, it listens, coming from a black woman. And they're just like, oh my gosh, we didn't know that. And so they're starting off feeling empowered, not starting off, let's say, let me go to my U.S. Virginia standards that start off in the 11th grade. And like the first thing that they talk about in 1619 is that 20 and odd Africans were bought on the ship. Now I know the details, the white lion and you know, all of that, but it's just like 20 and odd Africans were bought. They were sold, yada, yada, yada. And from that point on, it's just slavery up until we get to the Civil War. And then they kind of glance over Reconstruction or I don't even want to say glance over it. It's very much so top down. It's very much so mm -hmm. what was Abe's plan? What was Johnson's plan? What was Congress versus, okay, what did Black people do? What happened after the Civil War? But I was like, let me reel it back in because I really started warning about Reconstruction because that is my thing. I can feel like the difference you know, I can feel that when you're starting from the viewpoint of the beginning with, you know, just the African people and the rich history and Mansa Musa being like the richest, right? Black man like ever. And then just going in about the different empires, Ghana, Mali, Songhai, it, it gives the kids more of a like, oh, okay, this is, this is who we were. And then this is what happened along the way. Not this is just who we are, period. You know, when I'm teaching the U.S. history standards, so I have to kind of balance it and tell the kids like, listen, I know y'all not in my African American history class, but this is what we were talking about. This is this is not where black people started at when we're talking 1619, 20 and odd Africans arriving to Fort Monroe, you know, Virginia. And so they're just kind of like, okay, I keep that in mind that I don't know what their previous experience was necessarily with how they were being exposed to black history and culture, what the viewpoints that were pushed on. Maybe they didn't take world history too. Maybe they didn't take world history one, especially if they're coming from outside of the country, especially if they are, you know what I'm saying, coming from another school because we get students like that all the time. I've gotten a couple of students this week that are like, oh, I just came from California. I'm like, girl, I don't know what they, I don't know what y'all learn in California, you know? <laughs> so they all have different background experiences and knowledge on African history. And I understand that sometimes, depending on where you're looking at in United States history, it can kind of be like depressing, like some of the mm -hmm. stuff you learn, you know? But you have to balance it, which is why I love my African American history curriculum. I think our state did a good job at fostering black joy in that course i think they, they do a really great job because kids have space for creativity and they have space to express themselves and they have space to create they just turned in two assignments one was a resistance graphic novel they picked one of the resistance whether it was the stono rebellion whether it's nat turner's rebellion or the german coast uprising they made graphic novels and they did a great job they honored black inventors pre-civil war that was perfect and i do i want to come back 
to Black joy. So don't let me forget that. Okay. What I feel is really key in what you said, and there were a number of things, but one thing I really, I really want to pull out and I want to restate is this idea of setting up the lesson, creating a framework for students. This is something that is important every single year and in every single subject area because, as you said, you have no idea what information that child got before they came to you, even if they were in your school. You you don't actually sit in the teacher's classroom that teaches, like I said, I taught eighth grade social studies, so I didn't sit in the teacher's classroom that taught seventh grade social studies. All I have is whatever he, she, or they tells me about what they're teaching and then what the children say. I can't trust that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I need to know. You know what? I, I said what I said. Okay. I, what I What I know is that I need to make sure that I am properly equipping my students for a rich, deep conversation that allows them to be able to explore their identity, their their understanding of different cultures, their understanding of their own perspectives, their biases toward or against certain ideas and concepts and people, as well as for them to be able to genuinely hear the comments and the perspectives that are being shared by their classmates. So that takes work. And I think that in general, when we're talking about world history and even a little bit with U.S. history, there is this framing of the conversation with the lens of the European monarchies. So there is an understanding that there is so much more to the people living in Ireland and England and Italy and Spain. There's so much more than them coming over to the United States, to the Caribbean islands, right? To Canada, to the Americas, to colonize and do whatever was going on. We have an understanding and a framework of who they are culturally and the richness of their history and people that allows students to be able to have a much more, I think, objective view because they are not only seeing Europeans from the lens of colonization. Mm -hmm. They're able to see them as a nuanced people, whereas the stories of Africans, the stories of Asians, right? Those stories are not being told as far as like the backstory. So we don't have a frame of reference of the nuances. It's just, well, these people were slaves or these people are immigrants or these people are, it's so limiting. Right. And I feel like that would be the very first step if we're talking about steps for teachers as far as Feeling empowered and understanding is to, well, one, do your research. Do your research, understand the full story and the spectrum, and then go ahead and set up a framework for your students to be able to dive in. Anything you want to add to that? Definitely. And I think you you had mentioned something earlier about ways that educators can feel a little bit more confident. And I do blog as well. So on my website, I actually, you know, give a lot of advice for those who may be nervous to teach some of these hard topics like slavery and stuff. And I'm just like, listen, um, social studies learning, we have historical thinking skills. Use your historical thinking skills. Use the things that you know have been vetted on a higher level. You know, we're not, we're not just out here doing things that are just random. We're doing things that get students thinking about the context, that get them sourcing, looking at primary sources, looking at secondary sources. You can't argue with the facts, right? You can't argue with the proof. If I'm going to say somebody did X, Y, and Z, I better have a receipt to back it up. That's what I tell my students. I was like, man, you, you can't just be out here making statements and not having the proof. The proof is in the pudding, right? So I think educators can be more confident in teaching honest and hard history by using the skills that go with historical thinking, you know, sourcing, mm-hmm. 
looking at context, pulling out the quotes right from a person's mouth, but also providing that context, looking at things in a different narrative, just making an open-ended question and letting the kids jump to those particular conclusions. Half the time, I don't even have to say anything about certain things. The kids will pick it up. Like if I ask, was colonial America democratic? Not once did I ever say that it wasn't. The kids can come to their own conclusion based upon learning about, obviously, the way in which women could not participate in the political process, enslaved individuals, native people. They're like, wait, only if you were wealthy and owned land. So I didn't say that. <laughs> you know, they looked at the facts and they looked at the information that was presented to them. So I think that we have to just be a little bit more confident in our skills and in the way in which we've been trained to use these sources, right? And these techniques and things like that to help us be able to teach honestly in our history and not feel like we have to put our personal opinion in everything because you really don't. You could just lay it out for the facts, trust that the kids see because they're not, they're really smart actually. I, I know, I don't know if everybody agrees that children are smart, but they are smart and they can pick up on things and they can interpret things themselves. So kids actually surprise me because I'm like, wow, I never said that, but you're right on. Like, they're going in in these essays. And I'm just like, okay, you know, it teaches me that I don't have to be giving my opinion and steering them in the way that I want them to go. They steer themselves, <laughs> you know? Yes. So it's just all about just setting it up. I love that you threw out that word opinion, because I think a lot of teachers are nervous because they feel like People are going to say, well, this was your opinion. But again, if you are grounding your lesson in these research-based primary documents, secondary documents, speeches, things that it's like, no, no, I didn't say any of this. We are literally pulling documents from throughout history. We are pulling news sources. We are pulling all of these pieces. I've put them in front of the students. And just like I said, with the Star Spangled Banner, all I did was say, hey, these are the words that we can pull from the Constitution, from the Bill of Rights, from these other speeches that have been made throughout history history that say this is what our country stands for. Does this document line up, right? Like you said, was colonial America democratic? There was no opinion in there. I think that colonial America was not democratic. What do you think? No, no. Right. Let's go based off of the facts. So it's like, protect yourself by using those primary documents. Protect yourself by pulling in secondary resources, research-based articles and journal articles to really springboard that conversation. I agree. So good. So good. Now, I wanted to circle back around to Black Joy yes. because I think that at the time that this episode is going to air, it is going to be Black History Month. Yes. And so we do. We ready. I felt like this would be the perfect episode to air during Black History Month because so many times there is confusion around how do we celebrate Black History Month? And there tends to be a leaning toward, well, that's the time when we teach about slavery or we talk about the standard yes. Black people. I am all about Black celebration. I love W.E.B. Du Bois. I right. love right. Martin Luther King Jr. There are others. I love how you're saying that that we need to also focus on Black joy and maybe even maybe even only focus on Black joy during Black History Month. Like let's I save agree. enslavement for another time. I'm glad yeah. you said that because that's something that I know I see the world from a lens where I don't think people don't mean well. I think some people mean well, but sometimes we have to help steer them in the right direction. So 
one of the things that I noticed kind of related to this is sometimes I'll be on Teachers Day Teachers and I'll be going through looking, you know, at certain history, certain resources related to Black history. And for some reason, every time I see something related to slavery, they always tag Black History Month on it. And I'm like, okay, seller, I love you. And I'm so glad that you're making Black history resources. But everything that's related to slavery and the oppression of Black people does not have to be included in Black History Month. And I kind of like downplayed this a little bit when I told you that I've been kind of like lead the Black History Month programs at my school. I literally put on, with the support of many staff and students, a huge like celebration production. I had posted some stuff on my Instagram. It was amazing. And it was all about Black joy. It was about what made those kids happy. It was about celebrating our culture and the things that make us happy. And of course, you know, some people had things to say that they didn't like. Oh, it was, you know, maybe too much entertainment or too much dancing. I said, it made the kids happy. And that that is what matters. You know, if that's a part of our culture and our joy, why try to stray away from from certain things because you feel like it's cliche. Okay, if we like to dance the same, we like to dance the same, but we're going to educate you on the history of why we're doing this. You know, yes, we're going to honor our TikTok creators. Yes, we're going to do these different things because we're not only talking about the past, but our present is also history. Our culture is also history. I kind of got excited about that, but kind of reeling back in (laughs) because I get excited talking about Black Joy. You know, I think we should definitely use Black History Month as a time period for joy. One of my students, they were taking this equity survey that our county has sent out. And one of the students had asked me, they they were telling me one of the questions on the survey was asking about AP courses and stuff like that. And I asked them, in your AP courses, what is it like? I said, do you write poetry in those classes? No, we don't really write poetry. We learn about it, but we don't write it. Certain things that you allow kids to do where like, as Goldie Muhammad would say, allows them to show their genius. That's the way that they're going to remember stuff. If, if I say, okay, let's go over a haiku. And I show them what a haku is, but I never let them write their own haku about their life and about their culture and about who they are. It's kind of like, what are you doing? And so I told the kids, I was like, well, you know, I, I said, I feel like sometimes the way that certain types of courses are structured, like, for example, AP course, it's very subjective, but it's not filled with joy all the time. Like, I feel like the teacher kind of has to go out of their way to make that happen because why aren't you creating things? It doesn't make sense to me. And that's not to say that all are like that. I'm not saying that. But based on the conversation I had with my kids and what they were coming to me about. Um, so I think that Black History Month should be about happiness and just creativity about who we are as a people and what's important to us, not what other people think is important to us. It is a great question asking the students about their AP class experience in general. That question made me just think, as a social studies and history teacher, how much joy did I incorporate in general? I don't know. Right. And maybe that's a reason, part of the reason why a lot of our students don't want to come to history class, right? Or they're, oh, this is boring. I don't want to do this because we're not balancing the war and the the heartache and the pain and the struggle of history in general with the joy and the celebration of advancements and innovation. And I had never thought about it that way. Mm. Yes. It's something that, and it's a constant battle too. Like, I know people will say, well, oh, it's easier said than done. Trust me, I understand. Because when I'm teaching U.S. history versus when I'm teaching the African-American history curriculum, the African-American history curriculum has Black joy built into it. The U.S. history curriculum, I have to go out of my way to try to add things that are joyous. For example, a huge difference in the two curriculums is when we get to the American Revolution. In our African-American history class, they're learning about John's Pharmacy, they're learning about Lafayette, they're learning about all these American Revolutionary War heroes, Salem Poor, they're interviewing, you know, African-Americans, they're making stamps to honor them. In U.S. history, they just mentioned 5,000 plus African-American men fought 
I'm like, that's it? Y'all can't mention the names of none of these amazing people? Come on now. That really changed the game. Like, we always talk about Paul Revere, but who, what black man was it that really <laughs> helped Paul Revere on that midnight ride that he made? You know, like, it's those things. And I'm just like, okay, I feel like I'm always trying to supplement that because everything else is so Eurocentric. Sometimes it is difficult, but we that's where we allow our creativity as teachers to come out and trust that we also listen to the students. You know, what do you guys want to do? What do you like to do? They like TikTok. They like social media. They're like, okay, well, make them create a social media video talking about Black Revolutionary War heroes or something. I see such a spark there because I do teach both and I'm the only one that teaches African-American history. So I'm just kind of like, this is very interesting. So I feel like I have to go out of my way to create the joy in my U.S. history class and I teach five classes of those and have one class of African-American history. It's definitely a challenge, but I believe we can do it and there's so many ways to incorporate Black joy. Whether you teach social studies, whether you teach English language arts, whether you teach math. I've seen teachers that I follow on Instagram who teach math and they celebrate Black mathematicians or not even just Black, they, they do Indigenous and they do Hispanic and I'm just like, yes, like you can do that. It's okay to do that. Everything doesn't have to be about the oppression <laughs> of everybody. It's it's like, okay, that's a part of our history and it's the truth. But then how do we balance that with, okay, we're here. This is who we are today. This is what we love to do. And this, you know, just let's celebrate that too. What you said about asking the students and really focusing on the fact that they have a brilliance and a genius that is unlike anyone else. We yes. are all unique individuals. When the question of like, well, I don't have enough time to revamp my whole lesson and I don't have enough time to go research all these people. Okay, what about your students? Do this in collaboration and partnership with your students and also with other colleagues. Sit down with some of your colleagues that also have a desire to be intentional about incorporating Black joy, that have a desire to be intentional about teaching honest history and say, let's do this together. Don't feel like you have to do it all on your own. And yes, maybe you're the only teacher that is teaching U.S. history at your school, but are you the only teacher in your district? Are you the only teacher that's teaching social studies in general? Can we all come together and say, how can we figure out some strategies to be able to incorporate these things? And also, you just said that you have a whole website that shares information about ways to be able to do this. There are resources. Hop on Instagram, hop on TikTok, step outside of your norm and your comfort zone and start following some educators that are going to be able to inform your practice in this way to be able to fill a gap so that it doesn't feel like such a challenge. So many educators are happy to share what they're doing and to help people. Like literally the, the teacher community on Instagram is the nicest group of people that you'll ever meet. They're going to be supportive. They're going like, to give you things. Even if you're not posting a lot or sharing a lot, you can definitely go on other teachers' pages and see some of the things that they're doing. There's so many free resources out there related to history and social studies education. I love the Zen Education Project. I love Teaching Tolerance. I love all of those Learning for Justice and just all of these awesome websites. There are universities who create lessons that are geared towards secondary. I focus in on secondary, but if you teach elementary, there's stuff out there for you too. There's so many things out there. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to revamp your entire lesson. Literally some days I've experienced teaching a topic that was so like, I'm like, this is so whitewashed, it's bad. And I say, okay, well, the extension activity is gonna be totally different. I'm gonna take one person, if it's, you know, let's say James Armistead, I'm gonna take his name and we're gonna blow that up. We're gonna, we're gonna go in about that. How 
about that because I'm, I can literally just look online and find something that's free, you know, or just like you said, Jocelyn, have the kids go do X, Y, and Z because they be on their phones anyways. <laughs> trust me, because trust me, I tell them about five times a day. Thank you for having your phones and headphones put away. That's my way to nicely ask them to put their stuff away. You know, I try to do a little positive, you know, PBIS. There's, there's ways out there and I don't want any educator to feel like they have to reinvent the wheel because you don't. Um, and, you know, if you, let's say you're like me too, and I say, I don't feel like I have to reinvent the wheel because I can go and find things. But sometimes I'm finding things that are feeding stereotypical, I guess, norms of what's being taught. For example, you know, when we get to reconstruction, I remember always wanting to do like reconstruction stations and stuff, but I could never find what I was looking for. Why? Because every time I went on Teachers Bay Teachers, or every time I went on a platform, I'm seeing Carpetbagger, Scallywag, Johnson, Lincoln. I'm never seeing Black organizations. I'm never seeing the Black church. I'm never seeing kinship and how African Americans reunited with their families after the Civil War. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to take it upon myself to create that because I don't see it anywhere. Or if I do see it somewhere, it's like, oh, do this like the Zen Education Project, the bomb. They have all kinds of amazing lessons that you can use, you know, related to Black history that you could also incorporate in your U.S. history class. If I see a huge gap and I don't see it being met anywhere else, I'll take it upon myself. That's my one project for the year <laughs> that I'm going to do. But I don't allow myself to become stressed about always trying to reinvent the wheel because there are things out there. And sometimes you could just pop in a quick little, you know what I'm saying, documentary. PBS has amazing documentaries. <laughs> Some days I'm yeah. like, okay, we got 55 minutes. Y'all gonna watch this 53 minute reconstruction episode. I made all the worksheets up in advance. Here you go, boom. And they just learned so much and I didn't have to say a word. A lot of gems in there. One of the things that I want to pull out from that is what you were saying about finding resources to support to be able to do a deeper dive into understanding a group of people, understanding their culture and their joy. Of course, there are, like you said, resources on the Zen Education website and with different multimedia sources like PBS yeah. and things of that nature because students learn in different ways. And you sitting up there chit-chatting and talking about a particular mm -hmm. topic may not land with them. They're just, okay, I keep hearing your voice and I'm tired of yeah. hearing it. I'm like, I'm tired of hearing my own voice. Huh? We got to stop. We got to Exactly. I need to go grab a sip of water. Can you listen to this other voice? But the other piece of that is to A, don't feel guilty about sitting your children in front of this resource because if you are properly supporting the viewing of that or the using of this resource with further discussion questions, continuing self-reflection questions, then that is going to make that time where you're not actually talking it's going to make sure that that is constructive, that your students are seeing the purpose. I can learn not just from my teacher and oh my gosh, okay, that this could be a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> we don't have to always be the sage on the stage, right? Our, our job, and my good friend Jocelyn Reed said this when I was talking to her on the podcast, she's like, we are not teaching these kids for the classroom. We are teaching them so they can leave the classroom. And that means teaching them about the, the wealth of places where they can learn and do research on their own so that they can be lifelong learners. That part. The other thing though that you said, and I want to go ahead and just put a staple in it, okay. is websites like Teachers Pay Teachers. Love Teachers Pay Teachers. I think it's an amazing platform. I am actually on their seller advisory board. So mm -hmm. I have a really great perspective that I kind of came into that role with. But then being on their seller advisory board, I've had an opportunity to talk with 
different people on their team and to get a whole other perspective to really see some of the work that that organization is doing to make sure that they are creating an equitable experience for both the sellers and the buyers. But you still have to do your own vetting of resources on that platform. I created a resource about the divine nine Mm -hmm. because I didn't see anything on the platform about it. And we're talking about black joy. Oh, that is all about black joy. Okay. It started with me being in the classroom and I'm a Delta and I wanted to share it with my students. So I was pulling different videos off of YouTube and you know, going to the national websites and doing all this stuff. And I was like, no, no, I need to put this in a collective space and I need to put it out there so that other teachers can see it because either A, if you're not a part of the Black Greek community, you may not feel fully equipped to be able to speak on it. Right. Or if you're not a part of the Black community at all, you may not feel equipped to speak mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. And so you're like, well, but I still want to share. So that's number one. Find resources that support Black joy on that platform. But then also, okay, <laughs> let's prepare our ear gates for this. Yes, ear gates. When you are on platforms gathering resources for your classroom, supplemental resources, I encourage you to do a little background checking. Okay. If you are finding a quote black history resource or you're finding something on Harriet Tubman and other people, uh hop on over to that person's Instagram page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Hop on over. Just, just do just do a little look see, a little walkthrough. Hop on over to Facebook. What else? Are they promoting on that platform? Is Harriet Tubman the only face that you see? Is every other resource that they create one that is really amplifying cultural excellence? Is it one that is affirming diversity? Or is it just this one little, you know, I need to make sure that I have a resource for every month of the year so that I can keep my sales up. That part, that's so good. Yes, Jocelyn, you better go in. (laughs) Who is the voice? Like, listen, you know, we are on season three of the podcast at this point. So you heard my voice and it is going to continue to to elevate and echo and ring true into your ears. Like I can't, I we have to do what is best for our students, for them to be able to develop as young people that know how to advocate for themselves, to be seen and heard and validated. They deserve it too. Right. Black, brown, or otherwise, like all mm-hmm. children, they yeah. need to see and be seen. They do. And I'm glad you said that too, because, oh my gosh, me and my colleagues, we were having like a little discussion because things happen in Virginia from time to time. We kind of make the headlines. Basically, there was just like some new laws that came out from our governor. And I haven't gotten a chance myself to sit down and actually vet all of the information. But my colleagues, usually, you know, they're social studies teachers too. So they usually do their due diligence in like, who is this coming from, et cetera. So they were having a conversation about how basically it's going to start being illegal for us to call students by a name other than the name that they were given at birth without the parent's consent. I'll be honest, this year I have so many students who prefer a different name than the one that they were given with and they prefer the pronouns they, them. And guess what I do? I call them the name that they prefer to be called because I see them, right? I'm not going to sit here in your face and you're saying, Miss Forbes, can you please call me X, Y, Z? And I look at you and say, well, no, I'm going to call you something else. They're not going to learn anything in my class. (laughs) They're going to be like, forget her. She don't even care about me. She don't even see me. Like we had this whole, it wasn't a heated debate, but it was like, we were just expressing ourselves. And I was not a happy camper. I was like, let me tell you something. Just because you don't agree with something doesn't mean that you have to push your narrative and your agenda on everybody else to make life more difficult for people. I said, "I, I don't have to agree with it, but these are human beings and they're in my class. 
and I want them to be in an environment where they're learning. But if I can't even refer to them how they would like to be referred as, that's just like me saying, call me Miss Forbes and you calling me Miss F. Like, no, I said, call me Miss Forbes, you know? So why would I look at a child and they're like, can you please call me X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, no. I was like, listen, y'all gonna be mad at me. Don't let the governor roll up in my classroom because we <laughs> we might we might have some problems. Did you ask the parent if you could call them that? No, I didn't. Would you like to call them and ask them? And I'm the most law-abiding citizen ever. When it comes to things that are unjust, I'm not gonna engage in unjust activity. You know, I kind of am feeling solid on that. And I'm like, well, if it results in you saying that you have to find another job, guess what, baby? I'm smart and educated and I could find any other job <laughs> that I would like to find, okay? That just comes with some of the challenges of, of being in the social studies classroom and just being in the classroom in general. And, uh, you know, that's not just exclusive to social studies, but I think we're in that day and age where we do face a lot of resistance to progress, right? And moving forward. And I'm kind of like the nut of you book teacher. I'm not gonna hold you like, I can be very like mild mannered and just like, yeah, you know, and everybody thinks that I'm just, but as soon as you start talking about something that I'm not banging with, I'm like, no, no, you're wilding. No, <laughs> and I don't care. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, I don't care if you don't agree with it. I don't care if I don't agree with it. These are, these are human beings. We're not gonna play yeah. these guys. But what you said, it just, it perfectly connects to this understanding of respect versus acceptance. People get those two things conflated, confused, and they start to like mix them all up. I can respect you as a person, as a human being, as a as someone who deserves to be able to live your best life, even if I don't completely accept or agree with all of the things that you are doing. Because guess what? Unless it directly impacts my own, per like, are you coming to my house to cook my meals and also pay my bills or doing any of the things that I need for my own personal life? Oh, you're not? Okay, man. And even then, respect and acceptance. I just feel like People need to have very clear definitions on the two of those things. People that are making some of these rules and these laws have either A, not had any experience in the classroom, B, right. weren't in there long enough, C, probably didn't have genuine, authentic relationships with all of the children in their, right. in their classroom. If a student is wrestling with some things and doing some soul searching as far as their identity, why do I want to add to that? If anything, I want to create a safe space where that child is going to be able to sort through the noise right. and be able to at least get this bit of education over here so that they can grow up to have the impact that they are hoping to have in this world. But how can they do that if every time they come to my class, they can't even get the information that I'm trying to impart to them. All they're doing is worried about, well, she's about to call me by a different name and da 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 and I'm not trying to hear her. When you come in here, you can feel safe. You can be who you are. If nobody else, you know, allows you to do that, you, you're allowed to be yourself in Miss Forbes class. We have agreement of what the behavioral expectations are, mutual respect on both ends with the kids, you know, with the students and the teacher, but you can, you'll be okay in here. I'm not going to make you feel bad for, like you said, Jocelyn, the journey that you're going on, because we all have had to go through it, whether it was related to our gender, whether it was related, related to just our choices in life. Maybe you had a rough upbringing. I remember being in high school and just having all of these different things in the back of my mind, and I'm sitting in class and I'm learning things that were triggering. And maybe the teacher didn't know that, but maybe another classmate also didn't know that and they were doing this. I remember certain like things that I used to go through and the content would be triggering. My peers would make it worse by making comments that were just completely out of this world. And I remember like storming out of class a couple of times, like I can't do it. 
because these people haven't been through anything and they think they know everything. The classroom environment matters. If we're making space for students to express themselves and their cultures and not feel like they have to hide certain parts of their identity. I want to make sure that everyone listening knows where to find you. Please share where they can find you on Instagram, your website, all of that information. Yes. So I am a social studies scholar pretty much on everything. So at Instagram, at social studies scholar, please go to socialstudiescholar.com. I do blog. The things that I do put on there, I try to make valuable and give my advice and professional expertise on there. So socialstudiescholar.com. You can also see my resources on my website as well as on Teachers Pay Teachers at Social Studies Scholar. So everything is is pretty much that. And you know, on my Instagram, um, I'm I'm more like a stories person too. So I'll post like maybe how I feel about things in my stories. And that's where I have like a lot of conversations with people and you know, connect with people. So like, if you ever feel like you have a question or you need advice on something related to this topic, maybe I'm not loud about it on my, on my actual feed, but we could definitely have a conversation in the DMs or I post questions on my story sometimes just to see what other educators are thinking about stuff, what supports they need. And yes, I do make resources, but the ones that I have have, that have been the most helpful to educators, I think are my video guides with EBS series. That's where you can find me, social studies scholar, just send me a DM, you know, but if, you know, there's, you're in another school district and you, you know, need support or you want me to talk about a certain topic, we can talk about that too. I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and just sharing all of your wealth of knowledge and information, your insight and your perspective. It was so valuable. Please, if you are listening and you have heard even one thing that you found to be helpful, valuable, share this episode with one of your colleagues. Share this episode so that they can also grab that nugget of joy, that nugget of information, that nugget that's going to provide them with confidence. And definitely feel free to reach out so that you can get any of your questions answered. Make sure you go and get that ebook. It's called Why Did Slaves Just Fight Back? Answering Questions Students Ask in the Secondary Classroom. There it is. All right, my friends, I will talk to you again next Wednesday. That's a wrap on today's episode, but it does not have to be a wrap on the action you're taking in your classroom. The next best step is to head over to customteachingsolutions.com forward slash the checklist and grab the free resource I created just for you. It's called the Welcoming and Inclusive Classroom Checklist. In this resource, you will find five simple but effective strategies for creating the welcoming and inclusive classroom you dream of and your students deserve. All right, my friend, grab that resource and I'll talk to you next week.